All right. Good. Good day. We're in uh, First John. Our second service here. Does it look? Uh, could, did you get a chance to look around and, and see improvements even over last week? So I I did. I, in particular, the painting on the wall there was just remarkable. So. Well, we're, we're studying in uh, 1 John, we're in chapter 2, and uh, for context, we're going to read verses 1 and 2, uh, even though we studied them last week, uh, but we're going to read through verse number 6. And uh, so we're going to start in the back, Sister Min, if you would read 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, and Brother Sam, verse 2, then Kristen will read through verse 6. My little children, this thing right I am to you that you see not, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 2. 2. Sorry. Uh, I found, sorry, I found it just the, the John, Gospel not, of John. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to First John chapter 2 and uh, verse chapter two. 2. Yeah. So the chapter 1. Chapter 2, verse 2. He is the sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He did not say it, so I know him and keep it, not his commandments, is a liar and the truth of but whosoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. And so we're going to consider verses 3 through 6. We looked at verses 1 and 2 last week. And uh, uh, so the title of our message this morning is Fellowship's Conversation. And to know that we know Him, that is God, it's, it's, it's important. In fact, it is the most important thing that we need to know. Don't you agree on that? Mm -hmm. No matter what you know. I mean, you might know how to make more money than you know, Bill Gates and, and Elon Musk put together, but if you don't know God, it's not going to profit you anything. Jesus said, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, it, it's, you haven't profited. And so, um, God did not create us to be independent of Him. God created us because He uh, wanted to fellowship with us. And that's, that is, therefore, our purpose in life is to know God and to enjoy Him. 
and uh, some are deluded enough to suppose that they are able to maintain a relationship with God independent of fellowship with other believers or at least independent of membership in a local church and uh, we're going to see that that John denies that is a possibility uh, all of God's revelation of himself to man is so that we can know him and love him and uh, but do we really know that we know him? If we don't really know him, then it's then we can't really love him. We can say that we love him, you know. But a lot of people will say, Oh, I love Brad Pitt. Or I love this singer or whatever, some famous singer. Um, but they don't know that person, and if they knew that person, they probably wouldn't really love them at all because that person is just like all other people uh, and they got all kinds of problems and issues and and uh, you know what they look like on the big screen is not what they really are. Did our camera die? No. Okay. Well, uh, if we don't really know God, then we can't really say that we love Him. Now, according to Greek language experts, of which I am not, uh, there are two Greek words that mean we know. And the first one means to know experientially. And the second one means to know conceptually or intuitively. And so believers know Christ experientially. That is, they've experienced Him. And there's a particular time and, uh, in our lives when we came to know Him. It's not just that we know something about him, we know him personally. And uh, can you remember when that was? I know when it was for me. I was, I was about second grade when, when I got saved at, at church camp. And uh, I wasn't sure, and at the end of a message about salvation, the camp director gave an invitation, and he said, if you're not sure, if you don't know for sure that if you die, you go to heaven, raise your hand. I raised my hand, and afterwards he, he said, I'd like to talk to you, and he took me aside, and he took a Bible, and he showed me how I can know for sure. And I prayed and asked Jesus to be my Savior as about a seven, maybe eight-year-old boy. And, and since that time, I know God, because I know He saved me then. And I knew that, that I was a sinner, and, and that Jesus said that He would save all who called upon His name, and I believe that. And I hope everyone here has time. I've had a lot of people tell me, mostly here in Korea, not too many in America, but that they just one day realized they were saved or that they came to realize they were saved. And I'm always worried when I hear some response like that because I don't think that salvation is a process any more than perhaps birth being a process. It's an event. It's, it's not something that you just come to realize over time. Uh, that's, that's intellectual head knowledge. That's sudden, suddenly you just think, you know what, I, I realize that I know more about what the Bible says about Jesus than most other people do, therefore I must be saved. Having, having that conceptual knowledge or even intuitive knowledge is not what saves us. It's, it's the experiential knowledge that Jesus is our Savior. And that's why John focused, that's what John's focus is. He, he said, these things, 
Hereby do we know that we know. We need to know that we know Him. And how do we know? How do we know? What does it say? If we keep His commandments. If we keep His commandments. Oh. <laughs> well, the title of today's message is Fellowship's Conversation. And I mean conversation in the biblical sense, not in the modern usage of that word. Uh, Brother Yoon and I, we had a couple of conversations this morning. We were having a philosophical conversation. We also were having a conversation about how he got to church uh, by seeing my wife and, and uh, following her. So we've had some conversations, but in, when the word conversation is used in our King James Bible, uh, it means much more than our speech. It's our whole manner of life. And it's not even so much what we say, it's how we live. And uh, the passage stresses that our life, our conduct, our character cannot be separated from our faith of the doctrine that we claim to believe. And uh, it's always going to tell. What we do is always going to tell on us. And I, I believe that what we find in our text is significant because it balances and gives meaning to all that came before it in chapter 1. So we were assured in chapter 1 that if we say that we have no sin, then we're liars. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you know that there is... Uh, a whole, I don't even know how, what the percentage might be, but a significant percentage of fundamental independent Baptists don't believe that. They, they don't believe that any confession of sin, that repentance is anything other than a turning from unbelief to belief, and that any feeling of sorrow or any confession of sin, it has nothing to do with salvation, it's about belief. Turning from unbelief to belief. That's not what John says. John says if we say that we have no sin, we're liars. And, and Revelation says liars have a place in hell, not in heaven. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it isn't even just the forgiveness of sins that we need. It's also that cleansing. And that's, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ can do. This forgiveness of sins is possible because we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. But even regenerate hearts are prone to abuse God's love and His forgiveness. Just as Paul anticipated and answered the objection of the Jews in, in Romans, and we studied that on Wednesday evening in Romans 6.1, so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul asked that question because in chapter 5, in chapter 5 he said, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so, so the, the tendency then of a heart that loves sin is going to say, well, hey, let's just sin that grace may abound. And what was his answer? God forbid. 
I think it was a thunderous God forbid. Even so, John here seems to anticipate that same sentiment, that antinomian predilection, if we keep his commandments. Because there's a lot of there's there's a lot of tendency to do to think just the opposite. I, I know I told the story before, but it's probably been a while, but when I was in high school, when I was in the ninth grade, there was a guy who was a senior, and uh, so I knew him, like, okay, that's whatever, I can't remember his name, but I knew, I knew him, and then when I graduated from high school and got a job for the summer working in a construction company, he was going to be going back for his senior year of college and he worked at that same construction company and so he and I often worked side by side and uh, one day we were working and he told me that uh, he, he went to um, I can't remember where it was might have been Northwestern it's a pretty prestigious college and then he was planning on when he graduated going to uh, Concordia University Seminary and becoming a Lutheran pastor and he told me, I want to be a, a pastor because, you know, you can't get a better gig than that. They only work one day a week. That's what he told me. And I said, so, so I was going to Bible college. I was going to prepare for the ministry. I'm like, well, what do you, what do, you do on Sundays? And what, what area of ministry are you involved in in your church? And he looked at me like I had lost my mind. Church? I don't go to church. I said, but you said you're going to be a pastor. What do you do on Sundays? He said, I sit around with my friends and we drink beer and watch Jimmy Swaggart on TV and make fun of him. That's what we do on Sundays. <laughs> and I said, but you said you're going to be a pastor. He looked at me and he says, you can't judge me. <laughs> and you know what he said? I have liberty in Christ. In other words, because, because I'm a Christian, and I don't know what he based his salvation on, uh, it certainly wasn't grace through faith in what the Word of God said. He, 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 he thought he was going to graduate from Concordia Seminary, and he was going to be ordained a Lutheran pastor, and, and uh, you know, at most he might have to go visit some some old lady in a nursing home during the week. But he wasn't going to have to do anything hard because, you know, a lot of those uh, Lutheran guys, they, they actually get a lesson plan sent to them for preaching. It, it, it comes from their denominational headquarters. They can choose to use it or not use it, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible. But I think that... Uh, the, the mentality is what I think, it, not just with him, even in independent Baptist churches. It's why do we keep his commandments? Well, we do it because we walk in the light by knowing him. A sighted man, somebody who can see, if you, were, if you were blind and you came into this room and you'd never been in this room before and you didn't have anybody to lead you and uh, we, we, we brought the blind man to that door right there and said at the other end you'll find another door and you go through that door and you'll be able to find the bathroom. Good luck. What's going to happen? 
That guy's going to bump into tables and chairs. He's going to go into that room first. He's going to wander all around in that room and never find a bathroom. Maybe he'll never find a bathroom. Why? Because he's blind. A sighted person would simply go right there. He wouldn't have to stumble around because he's sighted. Before we knew him, before we knew God, we couldn't even distinguish between good and evil. Now maybe we could distinguish some things because God's given us moral con conscience, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But there's an awful lot of things that, that we don't even know the difference between good and evil. And a lot of the good works that people do is really only self-righteousness, which is particularly heinous. And God doesn't find self-righteousness to be very good at all. And, uh, you know, the, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus explained to Nicodemus, who interestingly came to Jesus when? By night. I, I just think that it's so... John, in his Gospel, in his first epistle, I think maybe even one of his other two epistles, mentions light. That in him is light. No darkness at all. And when did Nicodemus come to Jesus? At night. At night. And we, we probably uh, read John uh, chapter 3. I'd like to, even though we really probably don't have time. But let's go ahead. Turn to John 3. And at verse 10, it says, Jesus answered and said unto them, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not? these things. Verily I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and, and ye receive not our witness. I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man ascendeth up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in the earth. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God has so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent His Son into the world, sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. But he that believeth on Him is not condemned. But he that believeth on Him not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And that's, that's what fellowship with him is. We walk, are walking in the light. So before we knew Christ, the Holy Spirit of God didn't dwell within us, enabling us to keep his commandments. And surprisingly, you know, the word commandment, do you know that it occurs more in 1 John? than any other book in the Bible. 
any other book in the New Testament. Um, and we find it 14 times in 1 John. It's in four times it's in 2 John, and another 10 times it's in the Gospel of John. And before we knew God through faith in Christ Jesus, his commands were of relative force. Before knowing uh, Christ, love was sentimental and knowledge was theoretical. Both of them were equally uh, vain because James in chapter 2 bears witness that faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So in this passage, keeping, how, how do we know that we know him? If we keep his commandments. And keeping is equivalent to the habit and rule of life. It's, it's not merely obedience to the letter of the law, because men will perforce keep their, their um, internal, uh, they'll keep laws that their internal man sneers at. Right? They do it of necessity. But for the believer, keeping his commandments is a cherished trust. It's a delight to walk in the light as he is in the light. Now, the, the one that identifies as a Christian keeps not his commandments and is then proven to be a liar. Lots of people will say, I'm a Christian. The truth is not in that one. Because they don't keep his commandments. We should note, I think, here that there's a shift. Uh, look, look back again. In verses 1 and 2, he says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know him that do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And then verse 4, he that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. There's a shift there. Do you see the shift in the pronouns? It was all plural before. He that saith. John included himself among all, all the others. If we do this, then we have an advocate. If we sin, we have an advocate. But he that saith, I know him, keepeth not his commandments, is a liar. So let's, let's think about that, this, this shift from the use of the plural uh, in the first three verses of this chapter to the singular. John previously included himself, but, but John knew that he was not an apostle. He knew that he knew. So he switched to the second person singular because he himself kept his commandments. Now, this isn't speaking about singular occasional mistakes such as we're all prone to make because we all still sin. And, you know, Peter is a great example. We can take Peter, I, I think, he, he had a big sin. He denied Christ. And later he had, uh, you know, a sin when Paul had to rebuke him because 
in Antioch. He was fellowshipping with Gentile believers, and then some Jews came from Jerusalem, and what did he do? Whoop, he withdrew from the fellowship with the Gentiles, and he maintained a distance from them. And uh, they had a bunch of Jews over here, a bunch of Gentiles over here, and they're like... And Paul saw that, and it upset him, and he rebuked Peter, because he was to be blamed. And, uh, but beyond those two incidents, Peter's life, uh, I, he was an apostle of Christ. His testimony was bold. He, he went where the Spirit led him. He went to the house of Cornelius and, and explained uh, Christ to that man. And, uh, and other places as well. And we've studied his, his epistles, First and Second Peter. Uh, certainly Peter was somebody who kept the commandments in spite of the occasional uh, uh, slip-up. But it's referring to a continuous, I would call it calculated disobedience. Hmm, I prayed the sinner's prayer. So now I can just keep right on sinning because God must forgive me. Now some would argue uh, about what exactly uh, constitutes his commandments in this passage. The answer, I think, must be the moral law expressed in the Ten Commandments. I know somebody's going to say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, I think that the, the, old, the Ten Commandments... You know, they're, they're timeless. And uh, uh, even that one about keeping the Sabbath, that keeping the Sabbath has been, has been changed by Christ. And now we worship on the Lord's Day. The principle is still in effect. So the, 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 our, our Lord, however, he condensed the whole of the Ten Commandments into just two, right? He said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and soul and might, and love thy neighbor as thyself. So love to God and love to man. And uh, according to Matthew 22, all the law and the prophets hang on those two greatest commandments. And uh, so even if you want to just say, okay, fine, let's focus on those two. The believer keeps his commandments. I think that means all of his commandments. Now, you can just focus on those two. If you don't tithe, do you love God? You say you love God all you want, but if you don't give, if you don't give to God your tithes and your offerings, you are a cheapskate, and you love self more than you love God. Uh, do you practice evangelism? Well, the person who never practices evangelism doesn't hand out a gospel tract or speak to others about their soul or pray for the lost. They don't really care. That's just a simple fact. They don't really care. Well, and if they don't really care, then do they love man? Because remember, all the whole law and prophets hang on those two commandments. It, you can pick out any one of the commandments you want and at some point, it's going to come back to those two things. So, you know, some of the commandments in the Old Testament, they're pretty easy to keep. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not murder. 
most believers keep them because the stamp of God upon us. We're created in His own image, and so we have the moral conscience within us that strongly objects to the violation of certain commandments that the rest of creation is utterly unfamiliar with. And uh, if you, you know, if a big dog wants the little dog's food, he can just go over there and wring its neck and eat that other dog and his food. And he ain't going to feel bad about it. Uh, you know, if he's your pet, he might know you won't like it. He'll be looking over his shoulder like this, just like a kid, but he ain't feeling bad about it, I promise you. There's not going to be any lingering guilt. Being depraved, we, we resist some of God's commandments, and... And we can become conditioned to ignore our moral conscience about all of the others. But knowing God changes everything. So, settled steadfast obedience to the law, which is the character of God, and it should be uh, within us, the image of God should be, uh, visible in those who do keep his commandments is then evidence that such a man has known God and tasted eternal life through knowledge of him. In him is the love of God perfected, it says. Verse number five, number six. Four and five say, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, the truth is not in him, but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby knowing that we are in Him. Now our understanding of perfection in this passage has to be guided by context, because chapter 1 and, and verse 8 had stated that if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and His truth is not in us. So therefore, love perfected in us who keep his commandments cannot mean that we've never sinned. Or that we will, maybe we sinned in the past, but we're never going to sin again in the future because, because now uh, we're a Christian. And I've, I have known people who said that. Not that they said that they never sinned, but rather that they no longer sin. <laughs> that nothing is a sin to them any longer. Well, that's antinomianism. By the way, keeping his commandments is the perfection of what? Verse 5. In him is what? Say love. Love, right? Not fear. Not fear. James 2.19 says that the devils believe and tremble. You know, there's a whole lot of people, and I think we ought to fear God, don't get me wrong, a reverent fear of God. The devils believe God and they tremble before Him. But they do not love Him. There's a whole lot of people that are taught to keep God's law or even to keep the church's rules because 
you know, the wrath of the pastor is going to fall down on you if you don't. You might be held up in ridicule before the whole church in scorned. That's not the love of God. Perfected, I think, means mature, or we might even say it's a goal that's achieved. Both truth and love originated in God, not in man. It makes the experiential knowledge of God to comprehend and apprehend, apprehend, you know, we want to apprehend that knowledge of God. It's what enables us to keep His commandments. Only then, only then, are we abiding in Him. And this is continuing fellowship with Him. I believe that it is folly to say that we are abiding with Him. Oh, I have a great relationship with Christ. Oh, I love Christ. I study His Word and I'm in prayer. I just can't stand people. And so I don't go to church. And I'm not a part of any church because churches are all corrupt. They're all full of hypocrites. I, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, but I, I know people that claim to have a sweet, sweet relationship with Jesus Christ even though they don't go to church.